All right, what's up, guys? So I thought I would give y'all my morning routine because <laughs> y'all... Is something wrong? What are these two? My followers have been asking for morning routine. <laughs> so anyways, every morning I wake up at 5 a.m. And I get that morning pump, get that morning grind. <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> Have you ever tried to be someone you're not? <laughs> I've watched that clip more than 10 times and I literally laugh every single time. <laughs> Um, but it's really good to laugh with you, to get to be with you here this morning, Hope. Uh, my name is Carrie, and I'm the student ministry coordinator here. I have the awesome privilege uh, to get to be um, hanging out with our students. And I'm excited to get to be here today um, with the awesome privilege to get to be here to kick off a new series called Let Me Tell You a Story. It's a new month. Happy July. We're already halfway through 2022. Um, and so we are kicking off a new month with a new series called Let Me Tell You a Story. And this series is about the preacher, the teacher of the week, gets to pick the story uh, or the topic that gets them really excited, uh, that they're just really passionate about and feel like they want to share it. So I tell you that to know that I am extra excited and extra passionate uh, about the story that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and so when we're kicking off a new series, I think it's good to talk about just like the topic, which is a story. And so I want to start today and talk a little bit about what are stories in our life. Um, go to the next one. There we go. Um, and the stories are ancient. We've had stories in our life since language was around that we started telling people about our day. And that is your story. You can say, I went to the grocery store and I bought spaghetti. And that was their story of the day. <laughs> that we tell stories to communicate, to entertain, to preserve history, that stories are just a part of our lives. And the thing about stories uh, that I think is really cool is the fact that we actually were made for stories. Um, that we actually, I'm going to sound really smart for a minute, but we are neurologically and biologically made uh, to enjoy stories. Uh, that there are transmissions in our brain that go off between one another when we hear stories that relate to us. Um, but then we also have hormones that are released, and it's this hormone called oxytocin. And this hormone is known as the feel-good hormone. It makes you feel things like trust and empathy and compassion. And all of these things when we start to hear stories that we relate to. And isn't it just so funny that Jesus, most of the teaching that Jesus taught us was in parables, was in stories, was in the way that our body was designed to feel empathy and to feel trust and to want to work together with people. And I think that's really cool uh, as we dive into a series of learning more stories about the Bible and about one another of our lives. That when we hear stories, we build connection with people, a firm foundation. And so this next month, I'm excited to dive into building this firm foundation uh, with our creator and with one another. And so the story uh, that I'm going to talk about today is the one of the top five, which you already got it in the Bible reading, but it's known to be either the top five or top six Bible story that's taught um, around the world. And so I hope you hear that and you're not like, oh, good, one I've already heard a million times. No, I hope you hear that and you're like, wow, there's a lot of important stuff in that story if it's told that much. Yeah, it's an important story. 
And so what I'm going to talk about today is the story of David and Goliath. Um, We have some Hope Kids here in the room today, too. We have family worship going on, and we actually just talked about this last week at Hope Kids, David and Goliath. So hopefully, kids, hello, friends, I miss you this week. Um, You will hear some things that we talked about last week. We made some little marshmallow shooters. I should have brought them on stage last week. But I hope you hear David and Goliath, and I don't want you to tune out. I don't want you to tune out to I've already heard this story and it's about a little shepherd boy and he feeds the giant and yes, God's victorious. Did you hear that? God is victorious. I never want us to become numb to the fact that our God is victorious over the giants in our life. That is some really amazing news that I hope we never lose the awe and the wonder of a victorious God that we get to serve. And so I also don't want to miss the fact or get in loose sight of the awe of the fact that God is just God and God just does stuff. Because I think also when we read scripture and we hear Bible stories, we think God is just God and God makes stuff appear. And he does because God is all powerful. God can just make a bush burn. God can just move some stones away and and empty a tomb, absolutely. But the thing is that a lot of this Bible, the things that we read about, is actually God's power works through people. That God's power comes in mighty ways because it comes through the power of people who are so in tune with his life that it comes actually through the power of faith. That the story of David Goliath is actually a very beautiful story of God working through many a people and specifically the faith of a little boy named David. And so we're going to get into that today. I want to show a little synopsis of that story. And we're going to get into just a little piece of it. Because yes, there's victory in this story with a sling and a stone, if you've heard it before. In one little bit, he knocks down an entire giant. But did you know that that victory comes in one verse? One verse, the entire top five story is summed up. But the story of David and Goliath is actually 58 verses long. Most stories and and parables in the Bible are actually like 10 to 20. This story is more than double the length of what most stories are in the Bible. So let you know that, yes, this is an important story. There's a lot of things going on. And what I want to look at in this is the victories that are happening. You hear that? There's plurals. There's a lot of victories that happen along the way to get us to the ultimate victory of defeating our giants. And so this story begins, um, it starts actually a little bit before this, but I want to put you um, right here of David out with his sheep. But it actually starts before this. And so there's a group of people, maybe you've heard of them before, they're called the Israelites. They're God's people. And they have a king, but the king doesn't listen to who God is. And God says, I can't have that. I need to have someone who is ruling my people who trust and knows who I am. So he goes and finds his friend Samuel. And he says to Samuel, he says, I need you to go find the king that I've actually chosen to be the new ruler. So let's first look. God's already working through Samuel. God could just show up to David and be like, you're the new king. But he says, no, I'm going to work through you, Samuel. And Samuel hears that and he's like, okay, got it. I will go find your new king. And so Samuel, he goes and he goes off and he goes to the family that he says, one of these people, there's there's like brothers, tons of brothers, okay? And he's like, one of these is going to be it. So he goes to the house and he comes up to the, to the first one. And the first brother walks out and he's really big. He's really strong. He's like, this was easy, God. Got it, done, made it. And God says this. He says, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. 
People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Hold up, Samuel. There's more in store in the story. And you hear this, you see this, God's victorious one. Another thing about who God is, God sees us in a different light than the world. Isn't that a really beautiful thing to breathe in this morning? (laughs) That God sees you differently than what the world sees. That the world judges you by the cover of what's on the outside. But God reminds us here in the story, he says, no, I look at your heart. I see you in a way that you don't see yourself. And that's just the tip, right? We're just already talking about the ways that God is different than the world. We're only talking about the way he looks at you. Come back next week and we can talk more about the way he provides and he does all these other things, right? Like he's just looking on you differently. And Sam's like, okay, okay. And so they bring out more brothers, more brothers. And he's like, no, no, no. And they get through seven of them. And he's like, so, so it's not it. And he's like, do you, are there any more? And the dad's like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> one. He's, he's with the sheep though. And he says, bring him. Bring him to me. So he brings out David. Can you imagine being David first of all? Have you ever been like uninvited to a party where you like show up and you're like, thanks for the invite. <laughs> That's David. He like shows up and there's all these other like group of people and you're like, okay. But it's a good thing he got the invite because he's the one who God chose. Right away, instantly, Samuel said, That's him. The one that, first of all, Samuel already overlooked him, right? Because Samuel said, Oh, the big strong guy, got it. God said, No, no, no. Jesse, his dad, who said he wasn't even worthy to come be thought of to be the king, was overlooked for his outward appearance. But God said, No, he is the one who's worthy to be the king of my people because I see you differently. Isn't that a really beautiful thing about our God? And so, David, he's king. He doesn't actually become king for a little bit, but the story goes on and we have, we're back with our Israelite group of people and they're at battle with a group of people called the Philistines. And it was common back then uh, for people to send just one person out for each army to go to fight. Instead of like a whole army versus army, it was like one for one. And whoever wins, wins the whole thing. So they send Goliath. Here's where the giant comes in. Goliath comes on out and it's, he's either nine feet, six feet, kind of varies on who, what size he is, but he's a big guy, okay? He's a big guy. And he's in armor and he's a mighty warrior. And he says to them, send him out, Israel, send me someone. And the Israelites are like, (laughs) I don't know about this. Who are we going to send? He's so big and they're scared and, and, and they're just in a tizzy. David, he's small, so he's not there yet, but he comes out. He's, he's in the midst of this. He gets out there. And I was listening to a podcast, and they call him, he's like the Uber Eats of the time, uh, because he was on a run of, like, cheese and bringing some supplies. <laughs> so, like, he'll go from, like, the battlegrounds, and then he goes back to his family to tend to the sheep, and he brings them back and forth. So he literally was sent out with, like, these 10 blocks of cheese to go bring to his brothers. And so he shows up with them, and it's in the midst of this that he also hears Goliath's order of, like, send someone out. And David's like, what's happening? What do you need? What do you need? I, Uber Eats, I got it. <laughs> and uh, his brother, let's add to the people looking at David's outward appearance. His brother gets mad at him. He says, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I know what you're trying to do. Like, I, I know your heart, the brother says. No, the brother doesn't know the heart. God knows our heart. And so there's another one. David's like, I, I just asked a question. So he must be like 14 now because he's got some like oomph to him. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm just asking a question. What's up? And they're like, they need a warrior. And David's like, I can go. 
And let's just keep adding to the outward appearance that people keep giving to David. Because Saul comes on him too. The leader of the army says, but you're just a shepherd. There's no way. No way. But that doesn't stop David. Because David is so in tune with the story that's happening in his life. He's so in tune with his faith and who God says he is that that doesn't matter. David says this. He says, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. You know that you're the one who left me out there at the party. You're the one who said I shouldn't be a bad boy with the sheep. He's like, yeah, that's what I do. And when I'm there, when a lion or a bear comes and tries to get at my lamb, I don't let him. I go to fight. He says, I know my story. I know my gifts. He says, I have done this and I will do it again. My God has brought me through this and my God will get me through it again. David is so confident in who he is and who his God is and the story that he's already been through that the outward appearance and the things that people put on him don't get to count. He says, no, I know who my God is. And he, you know, he says, the living God. This is different than the Israelites that were right before him. They call him, the, they're just like the Israelites. They're like, the, they're the army. And David said, no, do you, know, do you know who you are? You are the army of the living God. He knows not just who he is. He knows who the people around him are and what that means and, and the specialness of what that is. He's like, do you, do you know who you are and who walks before you and beside you? It is mighty. And so finally some people are like, well, I guess we don't have any other options. So I get go. But Saul, the leader of the army says, but you're going to need something. And he takes off his army or his uh, guard. He says, you're going to need this. And he puts on Saul's gear of a, of a hat and, and the shield and a sword and all these stuff. He's like, you're going to need this if you think you're going to go into battle with that guy. Let's just remember that Saul is a large man. He, we learn from him, he's head and shoulders taller than everyone else. And so this gear is not going to fit 14 year old shepherd boy David very well, is it? It's going to be too big. It's going to be heavy. It's not going to work. And so he puts it on. And David says this. This is my favorite part of the story, everyone. Pay attention. He says, I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. This isn't my story. This is your story. This isn't my gifts. This is your gifts. And these are my five favorite words that come from this passage. And it says, so David took them off. David took off what the world said was going to save him. David took off what the world said was going to protect him and bring him victory. David said, no, I know who I am and what my gifts are, what I've been built up to do in this world. I don't need that. I need my living God. And that's all that I need. And so armed with only his shepherd's staff in the sling, he went out. And a couple verses later, we finally get to the tip of the iceberg of the victory that he overcomes the giant. But it's the victory in knowing who I am and whose I am and the gift and the story that's already been written in my life. And I think that is one of the most beautiful victories that gets to come from David and Goliath. That the way that we can overcome our giants is through the mighty and victoriness of just knowing who our, what our faith is that victory God comes and works through us and it comes through the power of knowing our deep trust in who God is. And so as we're here today to tell a story, I want to tell you a story of a time that I had to take some armor off in my life. As you start to sit to think, what is some armor that might be going on in your life? 
the time that I had some armor was I'm coming up on just over a year here of celebrating and being on staff here at Hope Ames. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I, uh, I can't like tell people about my job without like just smiling. So just know it is like the best job ever uh, to be here. But when I came on, um, I got to be honest, I was really scared. I still am pretty scared, and I don't know what I'm doing, I usually feel like. Um, but when I came on, I had a really over sense of I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I really, I was like, I, I never had my dreams set on this. I didn't, I didn't see myself here. Um, students, I love you, but for a minute, I was like, I don't do students. I don't do kids. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And so when I got here, the thing that I did was I met with five local other student ministry coordinators at different churches, and I took pages of notes, guys. I took pages to be like, I don't know how to do this job. I was like, what does your day look like? What's your program? How do you play games? How do you talk to kids? I was just taking all of these notes of how to do my job. And then I went to Hope, other Hope campuses, and I would take notes from them. And, and so I had this idea and this image of what it needed to look like. And, and we go into the year, and it was super great, and it was fun. But I realized there were times in my life I would start to feel, like, defeated or let down. Because I just, like, it just, it was good. It was so good, but it didn't look like my notes. So I was like, I, am I messing up? Am I not doing so? I don't, it just left me feeling kind of, like, stressed. Of, like, I'm not, I'm not sure I should be the one here. And then I had this cool opportunity um, in January, February. I went down and I went to Hope Grimes. Um, and I had the opportunity to be a guest there at their student ministry. And it is a beautiful night that they had going on. And I just had a sense of peace. And I was like, Matt Barrick is their student ministry coordinator. He is an awesome, awesome leader. And I got the opportunity to just see what he was doing. And at the end of the night, I said, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, this, this is so fun. Like, you just seem so at peace. He's like, why are you at peace? I'm, what are you doing? He's like, I just do me. <laughs> I was like, you just do you? <laughs> you know, like have pages of notes that you're like looking at or trying to figure out like what he's supposed to be doing. You just do you. And he's like, I just do me. And he said, Carrie, I think you should just do you too. He said, you, there are a lot of people in the world that could have your job. But for some reason, God has called you with the unique gifts and the unique qualities that you have to bring to that space. He said, I think you should give them. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I should do that. And I think you all should do that too, to know that there's a lot of people in the world, but there's some unique reason why you are in the relationship that you're in, you're in the job that you're in, you're in the conversations that you're in, because there is something unique about the story that's already been written in your life to be in the place that you already are. And of course, we're gonna have new things that come at us in life, of course. But the thing is, is that you've already walked through some beautiful things to be right where you're at. And I don't want to miss this slide because I almost did. Of This is just some of the fun that my life now gets to look like. And I want you to find some lovely faces. We got some fun power life and ignition things going on. So to you all students, I love you dearly. And I can't wait to hang out with you some more. So this is my life. And a really cool verse that came from this that I found, um, that I think is really beautiful to learn about more of the ways to walk through these situations is written by a guy named Paul. Paul writes a lot of the story of the Bible. And he also goes through some really hard times of life. And when Paul's going through hard things, he talks to God. And he, he shares this with us. He's like, every time I go to God and I'm like, God, I'm going through some really hard time of life. Like, I'm not sure what I should do. He says this. He's like, every time I did that, God told me, he said, my grace is all that you need. My grace is all that you need. 
You don't need to put on the armor of someone else. You don't need to pick up or do anything else that you need. You just need to walk in there with a sling and a stone and all that you have and just be you. In the same way that David walked in that story, he said, all I need is my God's love and mercy and strength. Hundreds of years later, God is telling the same message to Paul again. He says, this is all that you need in life is me. He says, in fact, when you're weak, that's when I'm strongest. When you are in your most vulnerable position, you like to be vulnerable? No, you should shake your head, all of you. I know you don't. No one likes to be vulnerable. But God says, when you are most vulnerable is when I'm the most strong because you need something. Because when you are with the sling and the stone, you're gonna need some extra oomph. You're gonna need some extra knowledge, maybe some extra guidance, some extra love, whatever that is. And he said, good, because I am all of that and more. And I gracefully, mercifully pour that out onto you. I hope you hear that today and know that God's grace is all that you need to walk through this life. And to also know that when we put on things and we try to take it off like David, that sometimes we put on things like I did that the world didn't necessarily put on, that I chose to pick that up. Sometimes the world puts it on and sometimes we pick it up and sometimes taking it off is really hard. And I invite you to find people here in our church community, wherever that is, to help you take it off because it can be really heavy. And the Bible tells us we are not called to bear our burdens alone, but we are here as a church community to come together as we share our stories and be like, oh, I'm not alone in that feeling. Let's figure it out together. Church, let's figure it out together how to carry not anyone else's armor, but our own and the goodness and the grace of God. Amen. Yeah. And David has some really good news for how do we do that? How do we learn some faith in that? And the first thing is, is this vertical faith is what we talk about. We have vertical faith. We know about God and you. You're getting really in tune with that relationship between God and you and what's God's doing in my life. And the thing is, then you get to move into the relationship that you have with the world and you. And you see that really beautiful picture that happens when we're with God and you and the world and you and how do we live out our faith? We meet at the cross. We meet at the cross intersection of some really beautiful faith and we meet at the cross of authentic love of authenticity, of vulnerability, that Jesus on the cross was the most vulnerable, authentic thing that there was in the time. That is where we come to when we are so in tune with who God is and so concerned with how do I get to share that and love others in my life. It's a beautiful thing of authentic love that Jesus poured out for us. And he poured out in a beautiful example when he lived his entire life, how do I live authentically? And it happens when he's in the desert. He's in the wilderness He's just starting his ministry. And when he goes into this, he gets this, he's been there 40 days. He hasn't had food. Four hours and I am hangry. Anyone else? (laughs) 40 days he hasn't had food. He hasn't had company. He is vulnerable, isn't he? And the tempter, it says, Satan shows up to him and he says, if you are the son of God, he knows who he is. Satan knows who Jesus is. He says, well, if you're gonna claim to be him, then maybe you should just turn these stones into some bread. And P.S., later on in the story, he he can multiply bread. He can do that when he wants. Remember, God, God can just do God stuff. But Jesus says, no. No, my God actually says this. Three times, Satan says, if you claim to be this, then why don't you perform like this? Why don't you look like this? Why don't you have this in your life? You ever start to feel like some of that's in your life? The world looks at you and says, well, if you claim to be this, if you wanna be this, if you wanna have this type of status, then why aren't you performing or having this in your life? 
I had a lot of this feeling a year ago when I was trying to figure out this job. And uh, one of my closest friends, his name is Christer, he looked at me and he said, you're kind of looking or feeling like a pile of shoulds, aren't you? I was like, yeah. I really feel like I should be doing a lot more. I should be doing. And he gave me the greatest advice, I think, that I've had poured into my life in a long time. And he looked at me and he said, you know, it's really important, though, that we look at that and we say, but who's telling you that? What are the shoulds in your life that feel, but who's telling you that? Because Jesus knew that, no, that's not my God that's telling me I should perform like that. Because my God actually says this. Yes, I am the son of God, which means this. Because I am the son of God, therefore, no, my life and my story is this. Jesus is so rooted in the story that has already been written in his 30-some years of life and is uh, confident of where his life is going. He says, no, this is it. And so today we have looked at David, who is so confident in the faith that he has of who is God is and who am I and there's victory. And we looked at Paul and he's like, who am I? What am I supposed to do? And he says, oh, I'm confident in who I am and who God is. And Jesus comes and he says, oh, I'm so confident in who I am and who is I am and there's victory. Wouldn't it be really fun to have some victory in our life? To know who we are and whose we are. And we start to tend to this faith. It's important that we come to our God. And when we come to God, we also wanna come authentically. And there's this really beautiful book out there. It's written by Pete Greig. And he uh, wrote a beautiful book on how to pray. He has started 22,000 prayer rooms in the world. He has started. He is, he is a powerful at knowing what prayer is. But don't get intimidated. He wrote a very beautiful book, and it's called How to Pray. And he has three simple tactics for how to pray. And it starts with keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And in his story, Keep It Real, he shares a really personal story about this time that his wife was dying. He, she had been very sick and she just kept having these surgeries and, and he's like just in the waiting room and this friend was with him and he was praying for him and he's like, okay, God, like the friend was praying for him and he said, God, whatever you want today, you already have it planned, just, just let it happen. And Pete, the author, he said, I interrupted that prayer and I said, no, God, no, I don't want her to die today. I don't care what you have planned. I want it my way. I want her to know my kids. I want to keep spending life with her. I want to keep this woman alive today. No, God, not whatever you have. This is what I want. And she survived. And he said he carried a lot of shame and guilt for a while because of that prayer. He's like, I just, I shouldn't have prayed like that. I should have said this to God. But he said God pulled him aside a little bit later and he said, he reminded him and said, Pete, I'm really glad that you came to me like that because I know that's how you really feel. I know that's how much you really love her. I'm really glad that you prayed to me so authentically, so vulnerable because I already know that. And David speaks some truth more into that in Psalm 139. Uh, David wrote this. So the little shepherd boy that wrote our story today, he wrote some really beautiful psalms, and it says this. He wrote, oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. He goes on, and there's like all these places to run. He's like, I could go off in the darkness, and even there your light will find me. I can put on the heaviest armor, the thickest armor, and you're still going to know what's deep down. Love it or not, your God knows exactly who you are because he sees you differently. He looks on you with compassion. He looks on you with joy and with encouragement. 
I know everything about you, your God says. And this line right here makes me laugh just about as much as the opening video. Thank you for making me. He prays this. He's like, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. What a world if we all could wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, thank you for being so wonderfully complex. We have a lot to learn from David, don't we? But David knows that when he's saying wonderfully complex, fearfully and wonderfully made, thank you for writing my story so wonderfully, God. Thank you for integrating such beauty and strength into my life in all the ways that you know that I need it. Praise you, God, for all that you are doing authentically in my life. So this question that I want to ask you today is, what's your story? These people that we've seen today, they know their story. They know where they've been, and they know who's walking alongside them in it. Take some time to think about what is the story that God has written in your life. Who are the people you've talked to, the things that you've done, the mountains you've overcome. Don't discount your story because your life has purpose. God has a plan for you because remember there's a lot of people in the world, but you are right where you are because you are you. And God is God and he is walking right alongside you every step of the way to bring you to victory, because let us never forget our God is victorious. That's our story. I want to leave you today with the ending of Psalm 139 of David. And he says, point out anything in me that offends you. Let's talk about vulnerability, right? Let's just, I don't take, it's really hard sometimes, right? When you try to get uh, critiques in life, he's like, critique me, Jesus. Help me take off anything that is not of you. If this armor is not meant to be, take it off. If this pile of should should not be on me, take it off. Free me, Jesus, is what David is saying. Free me to be the person you've actually called me to be. And he says, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. That, as you start your discernment and your questioning of what's my story. I want to kickstart you with the most beautiful joy that there is, that that everlasting life is the start and the end of your story. Everlasting life is the story, in fact. Paul that we already talked about, he writes in uh, Corinthians, he's talking about it, and he says, he's talking about communion uh, to his church, and he says, isn't it true, church, when we come together, we're breaking one bread. When we come together, aren't we blessing one cup? Because aren't we celebrating the one body that came to live in this earth and to die and to bring us everlasting life? The one body. Aren't we all part of the one story? That we experience all these different other stories in our life, but the thing is, is we all experience the same kind of so of course, when we share our similar, different stories, we come together and feel the same emotion. But you know what's funny about this other story is that it's in fact one story with many emotions. That this story of everlasting life might just hit you differently than the person sitting next to you today, and that's okay. 
the way that you might react or feel about this might be different than anyone else, but it doesn't change the truth of the fact that our Lord gives you everlasting, redeeming life that brings you so much truth and empathy and encouragement and compassion. And God looks at you so differently. Aren't we all out to find the love that'll last forever? We all wanna find the relationship that's just forever type of love. Oh, my friends, I am excited to tell you today that that story is here. <laughs> that your forever love is here. Your story that never ends is here with your creator, the one who looks at you differently than the world. Kindly, generously, lovingly to give us all part of the same one story that was shared in communion where Jesus, in the night in which he betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. The one story that counts forever. Do this so you never forget the one story that counts forever. And then he picks up and then after supper, he picks up the cup and after he gives thanks, he blesses it and he gives it to all to drink. And he says, this cup is the new covenant, the new story of my blood that was shed and given for you and the forgiveness of all sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember the one story that you are ever a part of. Let us join then as many voices into one prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. That's our story. I now invite you, uh, we will start communion. Uh, ushers will come down the sides and direct you to your stations. We have gluten-free. I believe it is off to this side over here if you're in need of gluten-free. Otherwise, I invite you to take this time to worship, to come to know the God who has written your story and is writing your story today. Come to the one story that you are part of. I invite you to stand and worship.